Father God, I just thank you, Lord, so much that we can be here to meet with you again. I pray that you would just go with us as we go into your word and continue to look at what it means to be devoted followers of you. I pray that you would just guide our conversations, Lord, and that you'd open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to comprehend all that you have for us, I pray. We ask you just to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple of quick announcements. Um, coming up on the 27th of February at 2 o'clock, we're having a Praying in Color workshop. Again, that'll be here at church downstairs, and it's going to be loads of fun. Um, it's going to be a time to just kind of either start up your prayer life or to kind of reboot your prayer life a little bit. So whether you've been praying comfortably for a long time or whether praying kind of feels like talking to yourself, it's going to be good. <laughs> so, And it's open to adults and teens, and yes, we will be doing some art as part of it, but you do not have to have any skills whatsoever. If you can put a pen to paper, you're qualified. So... <laughs> All right, so the last few weeks we've been looking at a series called The Devoted Life. And this week, if I had a title for it, it'd be called Make Me a Servant. And the first week we looked at um, the importance of dying, which is always a cheerful topic, but that's what our faith is based on, is on death, on death to self, and that um, real devotion to Christ and to our faith is doing what he said, which is to take up our cross and follow him, that we are to be crucified with him, that we're to crucify the things that are contrary to to what he wants us, that we're to be living sacrifices. Being fully devoted to God means to be embracing death, like when we do baptism, that that symbol of dying and being born again, which is what baptism represents, um, that we would embrace what that is to really follow Christ. And then on week two, we talked about um, the importance of reading the scriptures, because Jesus said, if you follow me, (laughs) you need to keep my truth, you need to obey my commands. Well, how do we know what the commands are if we don't study the word? And the importance of studying the scripture and making it part of our lives, um, and how that the scripture, we're taught to meditate on it day and night, that we're to hide God's word in our heart. I saw the best meme this last week, I love it. It said, like, the one verse that says that um, your word is a, a light unto my path, and then there's that verse that says, the Bible is the sword of the spirit. So they were like, so does that mean the Bible is a lightsaber? And I thought that was the best because I love Star Wars. So <laughs> I was like, yes, it's a lightsaber. It's a light to my path and it's a sword. Um, but that we would embrace what that is all about and make it part of our daily life. Um, and then last week we talked about being part of a community of believers, the importance of being part of the church and what the church is about. And that it's, it's not about coming to hear a sermon, but it's a part about being there for each other. We talked about how the primary purpose is the proclamation of the gospel and that another purpose of the church was to care for the needy um, and then to encourage and equip believers to fulfill God's plan. And so all of those things are the reason the church exists and why God created the idea of church. And it wasn't so that we could come in here like a Jesus TED Talk like we do, but that we could be in each other's faces. And I loved it that we talked about Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, where they referenced that we are to provoke one another to good deeds, that we're to provoke each other and <laughs> to do good deeds and to love each other. And so that's the last three weeks what we've been. And so this week we're taking a look at being a servant. Um, so let's take a look at John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. And it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing... You do not understand now, but you will after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so we have this this cool story happening about the time of the, what we'd call the Last Supper. And in this passage, Jesus disrobes, essentially strips down to basically next to nothing, <laughs> grabs a towel, and starts washing the disciples' feet. Now, and it was customary in the Middle East at this time and in many cultures to wash people's feet when you came into their homes. It was what you did because the roads were nasty, and one, you didn't want cow manure all over your floors, And two, it was a way to just kind of bless them as they came into your home. And usually they'd have a low servant would do this, um, often with just water. Um, If you were in a fancier house, they might have it perfumed, so your feet might smell nice. Um, um, They have records back in ancient Egypt of having mint applied to people's feet, so they might have had some mint water soaking by the door that they would use for foot washings and things like that. Um, and so it was a very important thing, but it was considered the lowest servant. Like how many of you guys are Downton Abbey or any of those kind of shows where they have like a hierarchy in the household of servants? Like there's the butler who's like the top and then you have like the hall boy who's like the bottom. They don't even get their own bedroom. (laughs) They sleep in the hall and they do whatever they're told. Like you have these levels of servant. And in this case, the person washing the feet just would be a lower than the hall boy. They might, like, have a corner <laughs> that they're given because their job was to do the dirtiest job of all the jobs. And so Jesus' example in doing this, and like he said, you know, what I've done to you, you do also. He said, you know, you call me teacher and Lord. And to be called teacher at this time, to be called a rabbi, was very, very respectable. It was very important. Like today we say someone's a teacher and we're like, oh, that's cool, but it doesn't have that prestige that it would have had. Um, you know what that's all about, Evan, right? <laughs> Having been a teacher where you, people just like get out of your way when you walked and thought you just had all the wisdom. Yep, had all the wisdom in the world as a teacher. <laughs> and not just a teacher, a band director, right? <laughs> he could command the crowds <laughs> to do exactly what he wanted, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so you had you this example. And they, they called him Lord. And they did. If you look at the scriptures, they called him Lord. And they revered him. So for someone who was considered to be at that level, to reduce himself to the level of the lowest servant in the house, was very dramatic. It wasn't just a simple thing. It was a very profound thing that Christ did. 
And he says to them, you know, as I've done to you, now you do for one another. Now, they didn't get up and start washing each other's feet because he had just done that. But this picture that being his follower meant being a servant as he was. And for us to have a truly devoted life means to embrace that, that servant nature of Christ. Because that's what he calls us to be, is to be servants. To be servants of each other within the community of believers, which is what happened in here. But also those outside the community of believers. That we would serve them. Um, that it's not to be about ourselves and about self-promotion. I saw a really cool picture this week that talked about leadership and they had a picture of a microphone in front of a huge crowd and said, this is not leadership. And they had a picture of a bowl and a towel and it said, this is leadership. And we talk about that lot in our culture that everybody's a leader and people need to be leaders and all this kind of stuff. And the example that Christ gave us as being leaders was being a follower. We're not called to lead. We're called to follow and encourage people to go with us like this cool conga line to heaven, okay, (laughs) that we're following somebody that told us, that was told by them all the way up to Christ, and we're following. And in following, we are to serve and to let our lifestyle be be a light through the things that we, we do like caring for others and making ourselves less. Um, We're not to be about self-promotion, but about God promotion in our lives. Mark chapter 10, if you guys want to jump over there with me. There's another great passage. And this one's always kind of funny to me because it talks about James and John. And the disciples all had such unique personalities, and they came out at different times. And like reading them in a um, post-resurrection, post Uh, scripture canonization, we kind of have a different perspective because we're kind of like, we know the end of the story and what we're supposed to be doing. So we're like, what were they thinking when they said these things? Like, how did this happen? And Mark chapter 10 is like the perfect example. Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 35, um, you have James and John showing themselves. And it says that then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which Zebedee means thunder. So they were called the sons of thunder, if that tells you the kind of guys they were. You know, like, they just, they just, and whether that was because they were tough guys or because wherever they went, they just kind of caused a ruckus, we're not sure. But either way, it's fun, (laughs) okay? And um, they came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So like, Jesus, whatever we ask, we want you to do it. Like, (laughs) and they're asking the son of God, God incarnate in the flesh to do whatever they ask him. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. So when he's in glory, they want one to be on the right and one to be on the left, which culturally that was like super prestigious. To sit at the right hand at the table, to sit at the right hand of the king or the emperor or whoever it was, was like the spot. Like if you watch movies where there's like a pecking order of friends and they get bumped out of the special seat and they just feel humiliated. It was that kind of thing, only in a bigger level. Um, And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And, um, and when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, 
You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he was saying, you know, culturally, you guys hear about, like, in the Gentiles, that they, there's these prestigious people, and they lord over everybody, and they're like, they have this position, so now they're the boss. You know, I didn't just give, make these guys your bosses by saying this. I'm saying that if you want to be great, you've got to be the servant of all. Just as I am here to serve everyone, and I didn't come to be served. And it's interesting, because there wasn't isn't anything recorded that James and John argued with what Jesus said, but they said, yeah, we can be baptized into your baptism. And what's interesting, if you look at history, Acts 12, verse 2, records the death of, John, of James, I'm sorry. And I'm just going to run over there really quick. And we know this baptism that Christ was talking about was suffering and death, was self-sacrifice, was giving himself up for others. And it says in Acts 12, verse 2, um, talking about Herod, who was the king at the time, then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. So James, the brother of John, shortly after Christ was crucified and resurrected, was he himself killed with a sword by King Herod. That was his fate. And John lived a long life. He's the only one of the apostles actually to die of natural causes. But he was exiled on the island of Patmos. He's the one who the book of Revelation was given to. He heard and saw stories of every one of these people he loved dying. He gave up everything in himself to serve the Lord up until the very end. And so he didn't die a tortured death like many of them did. You know, the tradition says, like, Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Um, All these different horrific deaths that many of them faced. Um, But he gave up everything in service of God. And that's often what Christ asks of us, is when we say, you know, we want to serve the Lord and we want to be followers, to be devoted servants. For many believers today, it does mean their life. It literally means their life. There are people that are martyred around the world. Like genuine persecution, not the ones that we claim that we have in America, you know. They don't like us. We're being persecuted. Not that persecution, but the real thing. (laughs) Like you lose your job and your family and they show up and they kill your children because you won't renounce your faith. Persecution. Um, And Christ calls us to embrace that example. That we would do anything in service of the Lord. We would give up everything. And it's interesting because like when, when people went into service even in the last hundred years, they gave up their own personal everything. There were rules. They weren't often allowed to have relationships. That means they couldn't even date anyone if they wanted to. They couldn't go see their family unless they had permission from the person they worked for. Their wages were set. Um, When they got up in the morning was told to them what they ate every day. They had no say over anything in their lives. And this isn't like, you know, ancient Rome. This is Edwardian England. (laughs) You know, it's not that long ago that people lived that kind of lifestyle. And for us, we complain constantly about the things that God blesses us with. We complain constantly about having to take the time to spend in prayer, having to take the time to read the Bible or to get up and go to church in the morning. And I'm a pastor and there are Sundays I would rather sleep in, trust me, especially 
with having to get three kids ready and out the door, soon to be four, I'm like, mm, this is a good day to stay home. <laughs> but we, we, you know, that's not how we're called to live. We're called to a life of self-sacrifice. We're called to a life of servanthood. We're called to a life of obedience, um, even to death. As Christ said, as that death on the cross. Let's take a look at First Corinthians, chapter ten, verse twenty-four. And it says, let no one seek his own, but each other's well-being. Okay, so let no one seek their own well-being, but that of others is what we're being told in this. And that picture that when we are devoted to Christ, a life of devotion seeks others' well-being over our own. You know, oftentimes we think we would really love to give. We hear about needs. Um, whether it be the refugee crisis or just someone, we're like, oh, I really wish I could do something for that person. And we think, I just don't have the money. But the truth is, a lot of us do. Um, there was a professor at our school whose family gave up drinking soda whenever they went out to eat. They didn't give up drinking, didn't give up eating out. They gave up ordering drinks. And that money they would have spent ordering drinks, they gave to missions. And if you think it's like a dollar or something, some places it's two something something, you've got four people at a table, that's like, what, 8 or $10 a meal. If you eat out once a week, that's how much per month? Up to $40 a month that you could be sending to help people hear the gospel or have their lives changed. And it, was, it wasn't a huge sacrifice. They still got to have their Applebee's and, you know, all these things that they enjoyed. But they made one little change, and that little change made a big impact. And often for us living in such a a wealthy, comfortable culture, it's those little changes that God asks us to make first. Can you give up your Starbucks? (laughs) Can you give up this? And designate that resource for something else. Is there time that you're spending, you know, binge-watching a show that you could be spending with people (laughs) or praying (laughs) or doing other things um, that we would consider the decisions we make in light of what Christ has asked us to do, to consider others before ourselves? Yes, we have to pay our bills. Yes, we have to pay our taxes and do the things we're responsible for. But to say, okay, you've allotted me this much money. What do you want me to do with it, God? You've allotted me this much time. What do you want me to do with it? There's this really great study um, called the Live Dead Journal. It's really awesome. And the thing that they ask you to do for a month, or I should say for 40 days, is to tithe your time. So 10% of your day to be focused on prayer, on scripture, study, and on basically just serving other people in some capacity. And they even have it modified for moms with small kids, which is awesome. (laughs) So they show you how to just fit it in, that it might not be the long segment like some people are to take, but like it might be 10 minutes here and five minutes there and all this kind of stuff. So by the end of the day, you've spent that time. And it's it's powerful to look at your day and say, you know, 10% of my day needs to be spent with Christ needs to be spent in the word, needs to be spent in prayer. And it changes your thinking and it changes your perspective because we are given these days, we are given these hours, we're given these minutes, we're given the provision we're given. And it's not just for us to have whatever we want, but it's to glorify God. You know, later in the scripture it says that whatever, in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Everything should be for God's glory. 
And that's really hard to do. <laughs> it really is, because there's a lot of stuff that makes us feel really good <laughs> in that. And even the, the idea of serving. And next week, we're going to talk more about the practice of serving um, in the body and in the world. And often how, you know, servanthood, they say, because you feel so good when you do something for someone else. And that's not why we're supposed to do it. I mean, I'm sure that this oxytocin that we feel is, is part of God's plan <laughs> to encourage us to keep going. Um, but that's not the big thing. The thing is that it should be because it glorifies God. Let's take a look at um, Philippians chapter 2 again. We went here the first week, and we're going back here again. And we're going to end with this passage. Because I think this is kind of the heart of what it means to live a devoted life. Because for us as believers, again, it's about being a follower. It's not about... being a leader, because Christ is our leader. It's about following him and encouraging others to follow as we follow. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, and by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not out for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, and even the death on the cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, we talked about it the first week, like Jesus' life. We have little blips of when he was a child, when he was born, and then later on at the temple. But the reality is the majority of his life is completely secret to us because he lived a normal life. He was ordinary. <laughs> And it wasn't until in his 30s that, that he began to step out and teach and do all these things. And it was a very short ministry that he had and a very short record of what we had. And this picture is that, you know, it wasn't about himself having this great reputation or being, you know, he could have come in in all God's glory and freaked everybody out and said, you will bow to me because I made you and da 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 And he didn't. And that's, that's the example we have, that we should do nothing from selfish ambition, but that we should consider others better than ourselves, that we should look to the interests of others more than ourselves, that we should make ourselves of no reputation, that we shouldn't care about these things, but our minds should be centered on what God has for us. And it's so hard. It really is. You know, we look at original sin. Original sin is always pride. <laughs> you know, we talk about Adam and Eve. It was, it was wanting to be like God and have that control, that pride that we struggle with as human beings, that we want to be loved and to have that, that reputation and have people think we're awesome. But the reality is, in God's eyes, that matters nothing. And what he wants for us is to lay it all down and to embrace the lowest position, which is to serve and to serve others. And he will be glorified. You know, talk about, the scriptures talk about heaven and rewards in heaven and, you know, being tried, your, your works being tried by fire. 
And it's not going to be the people that we think that have the big rewards. <laughs> it's going to be the ones we've never heard of that were simply obedient, that, we, that are rewarded and are sitting at Christ's right hand because they were faithful and they didn't care if you knew them. A really awesome story I heard years ago, um, my youth pastor told about this person who was imprisoned. And they were imprisoned for being a believer, and I can't remember what country it is. I want to say China, but I can't remember, and I apologize for that. And they were imprisoned for being a believer, and they were so frustrated in their prison cell because they knew the other prisoners didn't know Christ, and they were stuck in their cell all day long, and they wanted it. They were praying and asking God for an opportunity to share the gospel. And they noticed in the corner of their cell that they had a bucket that they were given to go to the bathroom in, and it would be full, and nobody would change it. So they asked the guards for permission to change the buckets because no one was doing it. And they would go with their bare hands and what they were given everybody's cell and they would clean up the the feces and the urine and collect the buckets and they would share Christ and scripture with the people in the prison and people started coming to faith as a result of this because God opened the door for that person and then God began to speak to people's hearts and they took on that that lowest form of servant literally picking up feces with their hands just so that they could be faithful and they could share Christ. And it's, it's, it's pictures like that and opportunities like that that we're like, wow, that's amazing. And God has things for us in our lives that are going to feel just as humbling. They're going to feel just as hard. We're going to go through things at times where we're like, God, why did you take this from me? This was so important and special to me. But it was glorifying us and not him. And if we trust him and we embrace being a servant, as we're called to, God's going to be glorified and we're going to be able to make an impact for him. So as we close in prayer, again, I want you to go back to Philippians 2. This is our chapter, really, for this whole study, and we're going to come back to it again. We did it the first week, and now do it again this week to read Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11 this week again, to go over it and to just study it and to let God speak to you through it. Um, and next week, we're going to look at a bit more, practi- bit more practically about what it means to be a servant and about the things that God has gifted us with to do those things. We're going to look at some spiritual gift things and that next week, but that, that we would we would embrace all that God has for us through this. So, Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we are called to be yours, Lord, that you called us to follow and to do like you and to be like you. I pray that you would just continue to challenge us in our choices, Lord, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, God, that you would change our minds and our hearts to reflect you, Lord God. I pray as we look at your word, Lord God, that we would, we would say, yes, this is what I want. This is hard, but this is what I want. Help me to be a servant. Help me to pick up that towel and to wash feet. Help me to do the things that feel humiliating if it brings you glory, Lord. <laughs> I pray that you would just continue to be with your people, bless them, and keep them to meet all their needs, Lord, and that you would just be glorified, I pray. In Jesus' name.